0: Hello, and welcome to The Scrum. Each week on The Scrum Podcast, we talk about politics and media from Deacon Hill to the Beltway. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm here with David Bernstein. Hello, David. Hey, how are you doing, Adam? It's October 15, 2014, less than four weeks away from the election, and this week, Shannon O'Brien is joining us here in the studio at WGBH. Shannon, thank you for being here. glad to be here. Good to see you.
1: That's Madam Treasurer. Please
2: have some respect. I don't get called Madam enough anymore. Thank you. (laughs) Madam Treasurer, thank you. It's a
0: pleasure to have you. As some of our listeners will remember, you, in fact, were the Treasurer of Massachusetts from 1999 to 2003. Do we get that right? Yes. Also a former state legislator and a former candidate for governor in 2002 when you ran for the Democrats against Willard Mitt Romney. That's it. Let's start out talking about that gubernatorial race? Because I would love to get your advice for Martha Coakley as she heads into the home stretch against Charlie Baker on what she should be doing, what she shouldn't be doing. What do you remember from this time period back in 2002?
2: This is an incredibly exhausting time. And and, and I think that both Martha Coakley and Charlie Baker, and and less so the the, the third-party candidates, if you're not someone like Mitt Romney, whom I ran against, who could write a check, for six million dollars, and then sit in the the recording studio and practice the gestures and and the tone and the speech and all that stuff. You are running from one part of the Commonwealth to the next, and as importantly, you're raising money. and And I remember at this point in time, I was doing three, four, and and I think once even five fundraisers in one day, and calling, and and so. You know, getting the money to do that, but also making sure that you're keeping the troops rallied, making sure that you're reaching out to the individuals who don't get their nose out of joint, that she didn't call, she didn't ask, I'm not on the team. You know, There's a lot of stuff that's just coming at the candidate right now to keep everything moving forward in a positive vein.
0: At this point in the campaign, how much is a candidate sleeping?
2: it's not so much that you 're not sleeping it 's just everything that packs in the day. I mean, I would probably get home you know anywhere from ten or, depending on what part of the state I was coming from. I would try to come home a little bit earlier because, unlike a lot of other candidates, I had a toddler at home. You know my daughter Reagan was only i don 't know two three years old, um, and that was actually that was actually one of the sort of more bizarre nights in the campaign was Halloween uh, because we had to make it a point that i didn't ignore her on Halloween. They all knew I had a little kid at home. So we had to, like, do four fundraisers and then go wheeling back into Whitman, you know, and then take my daughter around with reporters in tow uh, to uh, to go trick or treat. And
0: you had to do that just so you didn't get portrayed as the bad mom. <laughs> well, it's not. For...
2: I mean, trust me, I would have much rather uh, been walking around Whitman with my daughter looking like whichever varied princess she was that year. <laughs> uh, that would have been a lot more fun. But, you know, trying—I think that the schedulers had forgotten that it was how Halloween and it was a little bit, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, I, you've seen the stories about who gives out the best candy, oh, yeah. you know, so they they write about those things.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's a very big thing. I was actually, uh, uh, someone brought it up to me recently because there was a thing last time around, I remember about, you know, what what did Coakley give out yes. and all that kind of thing. And they wouldn't
2: answer the question. They wouldn't answer the question. <laughs> and like
1: and now, well, I was thinking the other day, someone brought it up and then we had uh, Michelle Obama in town and now I'm like, oh, well, now you're going to get in trouble with Michelle Obama if you're going giving out. Candy bars, right? right you now.
2: can now, no, no. Michelle Obama <laughs> says it's okay to give out candy bars. Just don't be like Shannon O'Brien and eat the whole bag the next day. That's <laughs> what you have to do. That's she what, actually that's... said that when she was in Dorchester, <laughs> I heard. <Yeah. laughs>
1: she saw you. Through yeah, the window she saw me. Yeah, bag. stop yeah. it. Um, <laughs> how much are you still also sort of being coached? Because when we pundits, you know, watch a debate or see you on the trail, and then we think, I would. Tell her to talk about it this way or incorporate this yes. or tell Charlie to smile more or whatever.
2: I think it's the single hardest thing that a candidate has to deal with, aside from just the mechanics and all of that. After the primary, everybody wants to tell you what to do. And that mm-hmm. is really difficult. And I actually believe that that was one of the biggest mistakes that I had because I'd actually worked with some, you know, you do debate prep. Every No one is a natural except maybe Bill Clinton. But nobody, and even him, he's yeah. got to kind of work at it. And even, you know, all, all good candidates are good public speakers. Debating one-on-one is a very particular skill mm. and coming across in how you look. And, I, and I'd worked with one um, particular guy. I will say his name. Greg Stone. I thought he was great. And what he would do... Is as a candidate not really talk so much about the issues and tell you say this say that say that this is your point, but really get you relaxed. And that was one of the things I, I'd sort of said to you know to some of the Coakley people. And that's I think you know probably one of the the bigger uh, knocks on her right now is kind of her affect how she comes across. I mean you've all met her you know her she's a wonderful person has a great sense of humor can be very funny very charming on the on you know on a stage when she's talking interacting with people. But sometimes it doesn't always come across on television and debates. I thought she. And I know we're going to get into this. I thought she was very good last night in the debate. Again, Charlie Baker, the same thing. They're twisting him and turning him and do this and say this. Learning how to speak, be yourself. And it's it's really hard sometimes to be yourself and, and what that is. <laughs> right, you know, right, I, don't right. know. I mean, I have a really like, weird sense of humor sometimes. And that's, you know, I mean, you know, I, you know it, it can come out the wrong way.
1: It's also you deal with position issues even at this stage of the campaign after the fact and even today, you know, when people talk about that campaign, mm-hmm. some people will say, oh, you know, the, the O'Brien camp, uh, you know, jumped on the abortion rights issues too hard. And as you watch this the is getting two of back them... to
2: the, this is getting back to the debate prep and I'll tell you very frankly. I mean, abortion is a very difficult issue. You know, you can be solidly pro-choice, you know, solidly, you know, pro-life, anti-choice, whatever. But you have to be able to explain that to mm-hmm. people because most people find themselves in the middle. I think most people are pro-choice. And and the biggest mistake I made in speaking about abortion rights, which I, you know, I was a strong supporter, I think it helped me a great deal um, in, in that campaign because I do think that Massachusetts is a pro-choice state. But it's how you talk about it. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about it like a clinician. I mean sort of going back to Michael Dukakis mm-hmm. talking about his wife being murdered. You have to show the humanity. You have to show that even though you have this very clear-cut position – you understand what it means because it's not an easy issue. And being able to communicate that well is very important. And and again, that was one of the things I, I think I didn't do well. I, I was, I think, right on the issue.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think
2: in the way I promoted it um, in a debate, I, I think I, I, I could have done it much better.
0: For those of us who, who either weren't watching mm-hmm. or don't remember, how did you promote it in the debate you're mentioning?
2: I basically answered the question. You know, we were talking about the age of consent. For abortions. Now, the fact is, um, you know, Mitt Romney supported minors getting abortions as well. But I answered it, rationalizing it, that if the age of consent for sex was 16, that's where I felt the Mm -hmm. the legal age to be able to have make that choice about abortion. In reality, not okay. kind of makes sense logic. But the reality is it's a difficult issue. I'm a mom. I'd want to know if my that's, daughter, you know, I would want to have that relationship with my daughter. And that's ultimately, you know, it's not just the answers that you give. And again, sort of looking at Martha Coakley and, and, and Charlie Baker, the answers can be fine. But you have to let people understand that you're maybe, th- even if you disagree, that you're thinking about this and when, it, it, when it comes to some of these tougher issues, I think.
1: I think you're right that what happened was you sort of came across as a little bit lawyerly in your explanation, perhaps. And and I think on this DCF thing, to see the two of them talk about it, they both, when they make their points, you know, are very reasonable and they're making sense. But when Charlie Baker is talking about it, he's talking about, I read the brief, and and she's telling this story. You know, she says, well, you read the brief but i've met with famous, the victims yeah. over 25 years and i think she gets the advantage there where he comes across sometimes like he's you know the ceo presenting to the board a
2: little bit this is also part of the problem with these third party expenditures because my sense is if the <laughs> right. third party expenditures right. weren't there the charlie baker campaign might not be hitting right. on this as an issue i thought she did a very good job last night sort of explaining the legal details but then pulling it back yeah. and and establishing her bona fides On child abuse, that I've been there out on the front lines, the most critical, important decision that I had in my life, and which is also why I think she's so really ticked off at this ad. Because no one can question how hard this woman, frankly, in some cases, maybe too far on some of these child abuse cases, but no one can question that that she has not been there for What are you kids. talking
0: about when you say in some cases maybe too
2: far? Well, you know, some of the prosecutions, some of the tougher prosecutions. I'm thinking of the Felsacre case, which was a right. little bit, and there was another one, I think. But,
0: which I have been surprised, by the way, covering this race, yeah. how frequently people will mention Acres and what they perceive as a gross injustice yeah. as a mm-hmm. reason that they could never vote But again, that's the
2: sort of loyalty versus the kids.
1: And how does does sometimes the personal feeling about an issue get in the way of making – you know, the sort of correct political decision for both of them and for you, you know, it, and does and all this sort of happen much more it, quickly it, in real time when it, when for a candidate it, than we think?
2: When it comes to Charlie, I think that he has been – and again, I'm one of those Democrats who say I like Charlie Baker, <laughs> but, you know, and, and I think that you've seen both in the last – time that he ran for governor and this time, him sort of getting handcuffed by Mm. some of the positions he kind of has to take because he's a Republican, whether it's denying climate change Mm -hmm. or talking about the bathroom bill (laughs) or, you know what I mean, those kinds of things where I don't think that that's intrinsic to him. Is
1: there, I mean, a lot of the way that you describe Charlie Baker, aside from the parts where you say you like him, um, uh, could be similar to how, how people would, would have described Mitt Romney, uh, you know? I it, think there's it, a
2: big difference. And again, I, I probably have my biases. I think that – I ultimately don't think that Mitt Romney has the same empathy that that Charlie you're does. You're saying I you mean, don't
1: think Mitt Romney has a heart, is what you're saying. He's you want to know man. something? And I'll give this...
2: It's really funny, because I read... I forget what the article was that was just in the paper recently um, where he was being interviewed about, you know, the potential... Yeah, the Mark um,
0: Leibovitch Yes, the, the the program the magazine. Times I read
2: that. And it's really funny, because... Um, you know, I, I remember uh, he was talking about the fact that he was very put out with the fact that President Obama had invited him to come to the White House and have a lunch after he lost. And you know, he didn't really take his ideas seriously. I'm saying this guy never even invited me to the State House. That's a tradition, to, <laughs> And by the way. That's a tradition just here in Massachusetts. And and it brought me back to one of the debates that we had. I forget who it was, but 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 asked us to say something nice about the other, and I. I, you don't like the other person when you're running against him and that, that's not true of everyone i mean i have yeah. liked and you know less less liked people but i remembered you know i, I think i gave an honest answer i genuinely said he loves his wife <laughs> i think mm-hmm. he's a marvelous family man and mm-hmm. a good father and when it was his turn, he said, "Well, she's won a lot of elections, so he literally couldn't even yes. pull it out of his gut to find anything of value right. to say about me and so and I also see this with Charlie and martha you you can kind of butt heads and you kind of yeah, you, know, you really aren't very happy, but I don't think there's a loathing mm. or anything like that so I did you feel
0: spirit. a loathing from him
2: oh I don't think he thought I brought any value at all whatsoever to humanity. You know, I mean, I don't think so. At How
0: all. did that get manifested? I mean, is it the way someone <laughs> well, looks at you? Well, when someone the...
2: can't say one, like, even tiny nice thing about you in a debate, well, when, but by just the way. Let me, you, let you me,
0: let me uh, defend uh, Mitt in okay. absentia. What if his, his advisors had told him at some point, you're going to be asked to compliment Shannon, and you need to make sure that what you do is point out she's a career politician? And what if he what if he had, you know, five things he would have loved to say? To praise you and and have been told no, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. We're not going to win the election unless you hammer home the fact that then he's that she's... got
2: then he's got really lousy advisors to not even figure out how to say something nice about the other guy.
0: Any other ways you felt the chill from Romney? You know, too. Um, it's
2: it, 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 it's just it, it's just I, I I've watched him since the governor's race. I've watched him with when he made the remark about the forty seven percent. I watched him in this article say, "I need a camera on me all the time." So I don't so I, say stuff right, like right. that. So I know because not to say what, what I really is think. Because those unguarded moments, and, and this is what I talked about about a month or so ago when when Warren Tolman used the word unbecoming. I, I you know, and Charlie Baker saying "sweetheart." I mean, I, I, I see some of these. I see some of these comments and these words that come out. But I, but I ultimately think it's, you know, how has that person been? on these issues, is there something in there that there's a sort of truth to how you regard women, how you regard women in their decision-making capacity, how much you support women? And and I think that there's a qualitative difference between a word that stumbles out of your mouth and how you ultimately view women and how you treat them. So
0: how about Charlie Baker and the sweetheart comment? Is that a tell of some bigger problem or just something that can be shrugged off the way Tolman's coming comment? See, again,
2: I, I, I look less at those comments. I, I will say what's more troubling about Charlie is that Again, it's maybe the coaching, it's maybe the not prepared, it's maybe the he he doesn't really understand how to do some of this stuff. The fact that you have your big women's fundraiser with Democrats in the room, the NFL story is exploding nationwide. And someone asks you about Roger Goodell and you go, Uh, I I, I don't I don't know. I think the data
0: subs- came up. Right. And and
2: ultimately this is maybe not a Charlie thing, maybe it's an advisor thing, but to not know that that's going to come up and again, not to have a sort of gut feeling, not, not, not even just someone sitting there, you know my brother-in-law, my nephew, sitting in their chair and watching you know, there's got to be some sort of reaction to this <laughs>
1: About debates, you had some debates where the third party candidates were involved, and some where it was just one on one. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's what's going to happen this time, but there's a lot of, you know, obviously, as there always is, there's discussion about what should happen. Do those third party candidates deserve to be there? Do we need those one-on-ones to really bring out differences and whatever and contrasts?
2: I, I think it was a very interesting debate. You know, I, I thought that Evan Falchuk actually uh, was surprisingly uh, good last night, and I think he um, made some uh, important points about a different way, a, a different party. I, you know, I don't know who that uh, benefits. I'm not. I'm not sure if it benefits Charlie, benefits Martha. I'm not sure what it does. Scott Lively is... <laughs> Off his rocker a little bit, which was sort of entertaining. But he's not dumb. He's smart. Right, he's right. obviously a very smart guy. But when he starts saying that terrorists are attacking Massachusetts because there are Democrats here, yeah. you know, you start yeah. okay, fine. You know, and and I was actually um, a little bit underwhelmed with Jeff McCormick, who came across as. Smart, but kept looking down at his notes. Looked like obviously this is his first time running for office, which it is. And, you know, I thought he kind of spouted a lot of platitudes. But the good news is it kind of. I, I think it kept it closer on a lot of the issues and kind of moving things in, in fresh. Some of it could be attributed to John Keller um, is a really good, good you know, yeah. debate yeah, moderator. Um, and I thought he did a very good job. But I, I actually thought that debate went very well. And, and I thought, you know, everybody had a moment where they, you know, even, you know, Scott I, Lively had his moment where I thought he, you know, kind of resonated with people. Yeah.
1: And I I got the impression that Martha Coakley was deliberately trying to engage with, maybe not Scott Lively, but with Evan Falchuk, with Jeff McCormick, Mm -hmm. possibly just as a way of having of minimizing the amount of time of clashing directly with Charlie, I, you know, maybe that was, um, you know, or Except maybe I
2: thought her best moment was when she clashed with Charlie last night and mm-hmm. she called him. I mean, I, I thought Charlie was a little bit um, back on his heels when she talked about you ran a not for profit, you tripled your salary, right. you know, and you raised um, health insurance premiums. I mean, Charlie had an answer, but it was a very long two second pause mm-hmm. before he responded to her. Um, but I do think that for her, Having all those guys and her on there, as opposed to six foot six Charlie <laughs> and five foot five Martha, it, there's a stature thing which yep. is very subliminal. That's fascinating. And I, I really believe that um, it sort of almost smooths that stature, levels it a little bit thing yeah. out. And, and Romney definitely in 2002, wanted the other crazy women in me, cra- you know, all crazy mm. women in him. And he could, you know, that right. was – I'm, I'm not calling – I'm calling myself and... crazy in case anybody gets really mad. But anyway. Since
0: you mentioned Romney, do you think he may seek the presidency again?
2: When you look at the Republicans that are on the horizon right now, the serious Republicans, I think, Chris, you know, Christie is very damaged. I'm not sure that Jeb Bush, you know, you want to have yet another Bush running, although he could. I think he's a, you know, pretty interesting candidate. Um When he looks at the field out there, you know, why wouldn't you if if people are, you know, calling you and saying you're our only hope. He might, I think you would seriously consider that.
0: Well, and that's how he likes to do it, mm-hmm. too, right? He likes to be conscripted. He likes to be drafted. He likes His family to say, you're drafted the only him the last one time, right. didn't they? That's they were ran had in, a in Utah at this right. ski lodge. He, 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 and was, all... he was
2: pulled
1: to, to Utah <laughs> to save the Olympics against his will. He was pulled to Massachusetts to be governor against his will.
0: And... i got to ask you about just the process of campaigning in 2002. What was your campaign theme song?
2: Oh, God.
0: Or over the years, as you've watched other races and any songs that you really just never ever want to hear again because it's going to make your ears <laughs> well, bleed if you do.
2: The only song was was when I ran the very first time, and my father insisted. My who was my father was a long time political person in the governor's council. Who you know, and he made me play the theme song from Rocky uh, when I came out. <laughs> I and it was, it was mortifying, but it was, I, okay, dad, all right, you get to pick the music. Okay, did, so. did you,
0: did you like come I out never like, with wanted your fist raise? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Did you ever drink a rye egg in the morning? No,
2: I didn't. No. No. But I, I, I'm every woman that we had that at oh, the, you yeah, know, at the convention, which is great. But again, that was, we were, that was a little bit, you know, hokey too. But I, I like that song. I like disco. So that's sort of an admission here. <laughs> all right.
0: Let's get you to tell me and David what Martha Coakley needs to do or not do to win this thing.
2: She needs to continue to raise money. That's going to be important. She's at a a serious disadvantage right now. Uh, She needs to uh, continue to reach out to the grassroots activists to make sure that they feel a personal connection to her so that they get out and they work for her at the polls. She has the infrastructure in place. Uh, She has the people in place. You want those grassroots people to love her to death and to want to fight like crazy over the course of the next several weeks.
0: Is it enough to make the grassroots activists uh, activists love you to death, just call them and say, hey, I, you know, I know that I need you to, to win this thing? Or do you need something else that maybe she doesn't have? I'm thinking of the way Governor Patrick got people excited when he first ran four years ago, or, pardon me, eight years ago, and then again when he ran for re-election four years ago. I mean, he has sort of a native charisma. Martha Coakley, you said she can be very funny, and she can be, but in, you know, when she's in public, when the camera's on, she tends to be a little more reserved. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, would all the Although phone... I
2: think that reserve helped her last night when she's kind of hitting Charlie. That reserve is actually a very Point good you know, characteristic to have in a debate like that, because you don't get too crazy, too hot.
0: Okay, that being said, if you have that kind of native reserve... Couldn't you call people until you're blue in the face and not have them sort of love you and want to work for you the way people loved Deval Patrick and wanted to work for you?
2: I I just know because I've done this a lot of times. That, that having that personal touch with some key people that right now we're calling a lot of fundraising people again this is just shannon how shannon would do it that when you're in the car and you're driving around and you're making your fundraising phone calls that you have to keep calling and revving up that personal touch is so important you might not have that natural charisma I and mean, i think that she needs to continue to work to kind of show that side of herself again i think if you saw her last night um she came across very very well i mean again i think that all of the candidates you know even the you know the other third party candidates i thought did pretty well but um, I, I think that you're you're never going to be Deval Patrick. You're never going to be Barack Obama. You have to just be the best you. And it's connecting with people, not just on issues. I mean, I I see these ads about her brother, Edward, and I think that they're good ads. But the only difference I'd make is not everybody has that same connection to that issue. And I think that you take that issue of mental health, of substance abuse. I mean, Marty... Walsh took an issue that could have been used to beat him over the head. Marty Walsh was an alcoholic, was a drunk, was a this or that. He took it to a rallying cry to people to say, I'm your mayor. I've come up from here. I've done this and look where I am today. Oh, and by the way, all of you people who are similarly touched, I'm actually going to focus on this when I'm here. I, I, I think that she needs to do more to take that issue that might connect her with a lot of people broaden it from that just one incident with her brother and talk about what what's happening with mental health right now. I mean, I have some friends who have kids who need these services who can't get them unless they shell out $5,000 to get their kid mental health treatment. You know, I know people who can't get substance abuse treatment. When you broaden the issue from just this personal story to all of these people out there, that I, she's got to make that happen.
1: Because I totally uh, agree with that. And I actually think that both uh, Martha Coakley and Charlie Baker have a tendency to personalize what they care about. You know, I care. Charlie Baker is all oh, I care about gay people because my brother's gay. I, and, and Martha does the same thing to to a large extent. So I, I agree with that. I also uh, have to say, when you mentioned Marty and the recovery community, I happen to believe mm-hmm. and, and know people who were with the campaign that believe that the recovery community okay. I believe that. was more important than, than the labor community in terms of helping him get elected, the energy that they brought to multiple neighborhoods and, and demographics. And what I wanted to ask you, just, you know, we have time for one more question, is, is about to what extent are women a community in a sense for Martha. You know, certainly early on a lot of people, a lot of sort of the insider class were saying, well, that's what's going to make this election for her is that, you know, the excitement about getting a woman elected governor for the first time.
2: Women are not a group.
1: Exactly. Okay.
2: They're not a group. And and there are many different women across the state who don't want to just elect women. And I have I have talked to people when I ran who said, My mother's not voting for you because you're a woman. Okay, (laughs) fine. You know what I mean? What I think Martha Coakley and her campaign have to do is they have to talk to middle class women who are facing economic insecurity right now. How do you connect these policies to how it's going to impact those women who might not be the folks saying, oh, I just want a woman and they're listening to I'm Every Woman and Disco Tune or whatever. <laughs> but but how do you get them excited about this is going to make a difference for me. I want to know what it's going to do for my kid. And some of these issues, I mean, Charlie, you know, is not, I don't know how to nuance his position on, uh, position on this earned sick time thing. But that literally puts real money in the back pocket of some people who really need it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have and you're working and you can earn this sick time, but you're not getting that right now and you have to lose wages and you have to take time. You know, if you can't do that, that's money out of your pocket. I would still be fighting him on that issue because I think that for, for women, you know, who are working one or two jobs, you know, that, that's important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they need to connect on that a little more.
0: We shall see in the next few weeks if the Coakley campaign listens to what you had to say here today. Oh, don't say that. No one listens to me anymore. My
2: 14-year-old isn't listening. Sometimes (laughs) she does.
0: All right. That's going to do it for this week's Scrum. Shannon O'Brien, thank you a great deal for being here. Thank you. Terrific. I'm Adam Riley, and I was joined today by WGBH political analyst David Bernstein. David, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you, and thank you, Shannon. Thanks. The Scrum team also includes WGBHnews.org senior editor Peter Kadzis. If you like what you hear from the Scrum, please subscribe to us in iTunes. And we also have a blog, which you can find at blogs.wgbh.org slash Scrum. Our producer is Abby Ruzica, and our engineer today was John Parker. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.